Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Peter Stereos, founder of Manduka, the leading brand in high-quality yoga mats. After realizing that yoga was right for him, Peter began experimenting with different mats, offering to instructors who had high influence. This form of influencer marketing and the differentiation in product is what led Manduka to the brand it is today. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Peter Stereos of Manduka. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I would like to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Um, well, I grew up in a second generation immigrant family in a little farming community in Central California. Pretty ordinary um, family life, uh, pretty meat and potatoes, the whole sports um, just, uh, I mean, I would call it ordinary. Mm. Uh, it, it changed when I, I went to college and uh, I, I tried to get as far away from where I grew up as possible. And it wasn't that far. It was just two hours away. Got it. Growing up, would you say that you had an entrepreneurial mindset, say lemonade stands or sunny products like that? No, I, you know, th- uh, my life has been like a string of these coincidences that uh, never really uh, had a plan to be mm. frank. This I grew up working for other people. I was content working for other people. I went to college, graduated from architecture school with the dream of owning my own architecture office someday, but just going straight to work for another architect. And that was kind of the uh, routine, let's call it. Mm-hmm. However, uh, as I mentioned, th- these things started showing up in my life and it, it made me question, you know, w- what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And this seems like a great opportunity. Why shouldn't I go for it? So mm. that, that's kind of the transition. That transition happened. And it, it was not premeditated. That, mm. That's the most amazing thing about this. I, I have no business background other than just getting my hands dirty and doing it. Wow. That's amazing. So you mentioned architecture school uh, around two hours away from where you were. So I'm curious, where did you go to school then? Uh, Cal Poly uh, in okay. San Luis Obispo. It's it's known as one of the top architectural schools in the United States and has a pretty um, difficult entrance um, interview that to get in. Mm-hmm. And I was a valedictorian in high school. And uh, even then I had to still compete. You know, there, there were wow. a lot of valedictorians yeah. trying to get in. So it was it was great, though. It was on the coast. Uh, it was as far away from where I grew up as I wanted to be, and yeah. yet I could still go home to have my mom do the laundry on the weekends. <laughs> Amazing. 
Uh, looking into some of your history, I saw that you were involved with rugby. I'm, I'm curious, were sports, was that a big part of your upbringing and maybe schooling as well? Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of typical growing up uh, sports, baseball, football, basketball. And we lived close to the Sierra Nevada mountains. So skiing was also an, a, a competitive sport that I participated in. Mm-hmm. Rugby, I didn't even know what rugby was um, until I ended up after graduating from university in Santa Fe, New Mexico, my first job interview in an architecture office, uh, because I was an athlete and, and um, you know, w- really fit, uh, this architect that interviewed me, looked at me and was kind of sizing me up. And he said, you got the job, only one condition that you go out for our local rugby team. And I wow. knew nothing about rugby, but he must've seen <laughs> something in me that I looked like I could play rugby. And wow. basketball and rugby are similar in a way. It's quick. It's there's hard to you know. It's very spontaneous. And so we we uh, I started practicing after work with these guys. And and that's I mean this background you're looking at isn't my green screen. This is my backyard actually. Um, wow. I'm in in New Zealand at the moment. Um, the rugby team that I was on in Santa Fe won a national sevens championship and we toured New Zealand. And so here's, here's this kind of kid in New Zealand, um, in a way, just, wow, what a place, you know, and just trying to figure out how to get there. But rugby over here is a lot different than rugby in the States. And within one season, uh, I had blown out shoulders, blown out knees, you know, it was just like, no, not not going to be a lifetime sport for me wow that's remarkable i'm curious then uh your yoga journey where did you discover yoga and was this following some of your injuries with rugby or was this prior what did that kind of look like that journey for you the the first taste of uh, yoga was in college and i I, you know i've written about this in my book but in a in a nutshell the um Architecture school is very demanding, a lot of late hours, all-nighters, et cetera, et cetera. One morning, had been up till four in the morning, uh, late to class. I'm taking a shortcut through the rec center, and there's this group exercise room with the door slightly ajar. And for whatever reason, I poked my head inside that door, even though I was late to class and running it. It was just like fate or destiny pulled me and to open this door. And this is in the early 70s, mid 70s. Wow. I poke my head in and here's this room full of women doing something I have no context for didn't know what yoga was nothing. And just without you innocent, really, I said, What What are you guys doing? You know, right in the middle of class. And the teacher looked at me and said, "Um, This is yoga, you want to try. And it was like, I'm on the spot. And I said, Well, yeah, when's the next class? And she told me next week. And the next week I showed up. And, wow. you know, that was that was the humbling introduction to yoga. And it was extremely painful because I was so stiff and tight from weightlifting and, and training. But at the end of class, it was just profound. And so I was hooked. That one class switched something inside me. And in the beginning, it was purely physical. Yeah. But over time, and and this is where the New Zealand connection comes in. When I quit playing rugby because my body was so damaged, I mm-hmm. um, I just happened to be again coincidence walking to work 
passed an elementary school that had a community board outside and on the community board was a flyer for a yoga class. And I thought, ah, oh, yoga again, this, you know, entering my life again. So I showed up in that class. The class was hosting a weekend workshop that very next weekend. And I said, yeah, I'd like to do that too. And sure enough, this man that I ended up studying with for 20 years, visiting New Zealand from Australia, and mm -hmm. uh, named Shandor. And uh, I, after one class with him, I realized the true potential of yoga, like not mm -hmm. just the physical part, but also the mental part. And, and I, I'm glad you asked me this because the mental yeah. part that I learned on a yoga mat so was so applicable to the mental part of running a business. And especially yeah. as Manduka grew, you know, it, it became more about trying to, you know, inspire people and, and give them opportunities to grow and learn in their job. And even in the early days, we were four people. In the very early days, we were one, me, and I had two yeah, other yeah. jobs. So I was balancing three things. But as I started to hire people, I, they, I didn't even look at their resumes in a way. I just kind of said, who are you? Are you excited about what you're doing in life? Do you want to be excited about doing something in your life? And when can you begin? And, you know, if the answers to those simple questions were positive and, and I could feel in them this kind of deep um, curiosity and creative, inherent creativity, mm -hmm. they were hired. And over the 12 years that I uh, ran Manduka, um, I only had to let one person go. And, wow. and that was amazing to me because I, I didn't yeah. know anything about hiring. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of link of all those things together. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Peter's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Nisolo. Nisolo offers sustainable, intentionally designed, ethically made, and fairly priced shoes for all styles. If you're looking for a reasonably priced but high-quality shoe, I highly recommend Nisolo. Make sure to check out the description for the link to have free shipping of your order of $250 or more. That's in the description and enjoy the rest of the episode. So Manduka comes around 1997 and you mentioned you're still working these other jobs. Were you in architecture at the time as well? Yeah, I, I had a architecture practice with seven employees and I had at one point two local yoga studios. I had one in San Luis Obispo where I lived and one in a nearby community uh, 20 miles away. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, 60 hour weeks was the norm. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was hard. <laughs> you know, I, sure. in hindsight, it's like childbirth, you know, it's like, yeah, you, when you go through childbirth, my wife tells me these stories, <laughs> it, it, you never want to do it again because of the intensity of it. And yet, yeah six months after the birth, you know, you're reminiscing about how wonderful pregnancy was and you want to do it again. So Manduka was like that in a way. Wow. So what void did you notice in existing yoga mats to then create your own then? I'm, I'm curious. Well, as we, you know, as you explore in me, these string of coincidences, my teacher uh, who I met in New Zealand, after eight years in New Zealand, I moved back to the United States via India. And mm. India, I went for a month and ended up staying for a year. 
studying yoga at a, a yoga institute. When I got back to the States, um, this, uh, the teacher uh, from Australia was an international teacher. And he said, hey, Peter, I want to come to California. Can you set up some classes for me? And I said, sure. And he shows up one year uh, in California with this thick black mat. And at the time, oh. yoga mats were these uh, carpet underlayment, eighth of an inch thick, if you had a regular yoga practice, it was in the trash can. It wore out in six months wow. and you'd toss it and they were only 20 bucks, toss it and you'd get another one. He shows up with this black mat in a very crude form than the current mat that we have now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, where'd you get that? And he said, in Germany, you want one? And I said, yes. He said, here's a phone number to this guy. His name was Klaus. Klaus is still selling yoga mats in Germany. Wow. Um, I want to call him. He says, call him. So we called him literally in the, on that spot. And he said, sure, Peter, all it takes is a $25,000 investment. You know, like I had to buy $25,000 worth of inventory wow. to get a mat. And I, I, I thought to myself at the time, shit, another thing, but this yeah. seemed like a win-win. So this is one of those moments in life where, I should have said no, <laughs> but I didn't. And uh, I said yes. And I leveraged about six credit cards with promotional, you know, uh, convenience check, no interest convenience checks to yeah. pay for that first investment. This is literally back in, like, it was before 97, that first order. We weren't officially a company until 97. I think that order, first order was in 96. and. Okay. These mats show up. I gave half of them away, I would say, to all the celebrity yoga teachers I knew. Uh, and then I took out an ad in the only yoga magazine that existed in those days, Yoga Journal. And the ad was just a tiny little uh, column ad. And it had a, picture, a little picture of a person's foot. It was mine on doing a yoga mat. And then superimposed on the ad were the teachers that I had given mats to. And I said, these top teachers in America own a Manduka yoga mat. And I just wow. listed all their names. And from that point, that first month that the ad ran, we had 200 orders by phone. It was kind of pre-internet, pre-email in a way. Yeah. And literally every month was 100% growth. And every year for the first three years was 100% annual growth. So wow. it was like off and running. And, and the beauty of that map was it never wears out. And yeah. it, it took us a few years to trust that, to then offer a lifetime guarantee and to return your mat if for any reason it wears out. And over the years, I, I can think maybe five mats we've had to replace just either through manufacturing defects or Occasionally, we would get a mat that was clearly chewed by some kind of pet, like a cat <laughs> or a dog, but we didn't want to argue, so we just replaced it because it was good PR. Wow, that's truly amazing. At that time, so today, companies really run hard on influencer marketing, especially direct-to-consumer. Um, I'm curious then, so you gifted these mats to early establishers, amazing coaches, so was that traction do you think that was word of mouth that continued to pick up month by month or what kind of marketing did you continue to do none 
Wow. Well, no, I take that back. Um, I was a traveling yoga teacher at the time as well. This was in addition to running an architecture office. And, uh, you know, I was remodeling my house, as a matter of fact, too. I was definitely excessive compulsive in those days. Um, So uh, my traveling through the Midwest, East Coast, Canada, excuse me, even Mexico, um, I would be traveling with my mat and people would see it and want it. And then we set that up. But I, a few of those celebrity teachers that I sent mats to were also champions for me, influencers, as they call it now. And one yeah. in particular, uh, a man named Eric Schiffman in Los Angeles, who was six foot four or five long, big man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wanted me to create an extra long mat for him, which we did. I got the factory in Germany to fix, uh, make him one. And he would start, he was a very popular teacher, uh, still is. Um, he would start every yoga class with, uh, hey, if you're serious about yoga, get this mat. Here's Peter's phone number, call him. And wow. it was fun because I would see like on a Monday morning, I'd have 15, 20 orders from Nashville. And I'm going, <laughs> what? Who's? what's happening in Nashville? And yeah, then I'd yeah. go on to Eric's, um, it, he had a website at that point. I'd go on his website and see, oh, Eric's teaching in Nashville. So he, he was my first influencer, unpaid, just did it wow. out of the kindness of his heart. And Manduka ran a lot on heart in those days. We, mm. we donated a lot. We helped with communities. We, you know, it was a, one of those amazing eras where it, there was abundance and we were sharing abundance. That's great. Um, so I'm really curious then, um, you can purchase these purchase orders from this guy, say probably for, I'm sure over a year. What did that inventory look like for yourself? Was that in your home and you were shipping it logistically yourself as well? Yeah. I hired a 14 year old junior high school student across the street as my warehouse guy. <laughs> and he was, he went on to be an aeronautical engineer and he's currently, you know, in his, I guess he's in his thirties now designing drones for Boeing or one of these big companies uh, getting into. Yeah. So that, so that I had this guy in the uh, warehouse, which was my garage. We were getting after the initial orders, we were getting um, about 10 pallets. We, we couldn't even fill a container in the early days. We get about 10 pallets. They, the trucks would drop them off in my driveway, which luckily was long and the garage was at the back of our property. Mm-hmm. And that worked for almost a year until we um, had the mats out. The mats got delivered on a day when it was going to forecast for rain. And I was panicked because it takes a while to get all the mats into the garage and we yeah. didn't have time to unload. So I had to buy this 40 foot tarp. No, it was bigger than that. It must've been a hundred foot tarp to drape over these nine pallets of boxes stacked six feet high. In the middle of the night, the wind was so strong, unbeknownst to me, the uh, covers got blown off and the entire shipment got wet. The boxes failed and collapsed. I woke up in the morning and it was like, okay, time to get a warehouse, you know? Yeah. And and that was that was the end of, of the kind of working at home. And we got a little mini warehouse, uh, not a mini, we got a small warehouse in San Luis Obispo and 
that's when the business really started to take off. We could order by container. The prices went down. The profit margin was bigger, et cetera. Mm. And the rest is history. For sure. So as the company began to grow, when was the turning point to introduce maybe new mats, new innovations, um, using this previous mat that this guy created for some time? When was that time period of growth? It took three years, basically, okay. to wake up to the fact that we could grow the business. And about year three, I started to realize some of the shortcomings of the mat in its original form. The original mat was basically uh, under the backing for AstroTurf. So mm. uh, this factory in Germany was making carpet underlayment and uh, AstroTurf. And so the, the what I did was I flew to Germany, spoke with the engineers and chemists in the factory, and we literally walked through their kind of development room and warehouse and found other products that were making where the textures were different and more suitable for a yoga mat. So I said, here, put this texture on the top surface and this texture on the bottom surface. And once we made that little shift from performance standpoint, it just took the mat to an entirely another level. Mm. And one of my teachers at the yoga studio that I was still uh, running in San Luis said, Hey, you need a yoga bag, a, a mat bag. Can I make you a mat bag? So that was the next uh, line extension, let's call it from Manduka. Yeah. We had these uh, uh, bags that were made in, in the U S in Hood River, Oregon. Um, and that was a hit. And then we started to get a lot of requests for color because in the mm. old days uh, we used to advertise, you could have any color you want as long as it's black. And, yeah. and that got a little bit of uh, momentum just from the humor standpoint of things. But then people really wanted, can you make a purple mat? Can you make a pink mat, et cetera, et cetera. And mm. that, that first uh, mat extension was just changing the color. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. So to the consumers out there, what would you say that someone should look for in a mat? Would it be physically durability is the most important part or what would you say? So I've had this conversation with so many people over the years and mm -hmm. especially people that, you know, are in a creative uh, industry saying, oh, hey, we can make these yoga mats cheaper, better, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And at, at some point, you know, you consider it at we, I considered it. And what, what people found out was this mat that's made in Germany is really hard to duplicate. Mm. Why the durability is premium, but that's not enough. It has to have a degree of cushion and the cushion can't be too mushy or too hard. That's not easy to hit right out of the bat, uh, right out of the box. Mm -hmm. The next is a uh, slip. And this is one of the biggest problems with yoga mats. They're either too sticky or too slippery. And some mats are designed for hot yoga. That's where it takes sweat to um, create the grip. But when you're not sweating, those mats are really slippery. So if you're using a hot yoga mat, that in a in a normal class that's not heated to 100 degrees it it's it's a terrible mat so mm. the manduka luckily you know all these things we inherited in a way yeah and we never really had to tweak things much here and there from time to time batches would be slightly different but in general 
this mat that we're still manufacturing and using is very similar to the original mat that we got. Wow. So especially with our listener demographic that we have on Starting Small and the fast-paced life of an entrepreneur in a startup, I'm curious, what might be a simple exercise um, maybe to relieve stress be- between tasks, maybe something that you used to practice or that you could recommend? I, I mean, this is a practice I still do. It, it literally is setting aside a moment and whatever a moment means to whoever you are out there listening or watching. A moment could be 10 seconds. A moment could be a minute. A moment could be 20 minutes where you sit by yourself in a you know private room or someplace. I mean, I've even done this in a closet when there wasn't any privacy anywhere else. Close your eyes, bring your attention to your breath and notice the rise and fall of your rib cage and lungs, the full length of your torso with eyes closed. And as you get better at that, you start to visualize the breath as it moves up through the nostrils, into the throat, into the chest, into the belly, into the pelvis, and just visualize your body expanding, subtly expanding three-dimensionally. And each exhale, this is really important because this is what I discovered. I wrote a book recently. I don't know if I, yeah, we've talked about it, but the book came because of a a severe spinal injury. Mm. And what I learned in that spinal injury was softness. Softness was the key to creating an environment for healing in my body. And that goes against, you know, the whole mantra, work hard, play hard, you know, do everything hard. Yeah. If I tried to work out hard like I used to, my back just would scream. And it, it all of a sudden brought this element. So my answer to your question is one simple thing, sit in a room and breathe by yourself yeah. for 10 cycles of breath minimum and 10 minutes if you got it. And then if you're an active practitioner of yoga or other sports that you have to be conscious of your breathing, try to integrate some of that awareness of breathing into your practices, into your workouts, and you'll be surprised what happens. Mm -hmm. So this kind of branches off, but I'd like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, uh, maybe something you've learned building your business or regret, what would that might be? So the connection, let's say, between yoga and my careers, both architecture and as an entrepreneur, these, all these things I learned on my yoga mat, and then they translated into my businesses. It's not about force. It's about flow. Mm. And more often than not, it's not about effort. It's about non-effort. And, and literally, this last one is powerful on a physical level and also on a psychological level. It's not about overcoming gravity. And you can put that into any word. Gra- gravity is an attra- a physical attraction. So it's not about overcoming gravity. It's about opening to grace. And Mm. grace is this word that, you know, it it is a little woo-woo, but the way I use it, it's about coincidence. It's about intuition. It's about these unexplainable things that happen for a reason 
And it's your job as an entrepreneur or whatever you do to recognize the opportunity when that when those situations show up for you and then fully commit like mm. it, it presents itself fully commit to it. And that's that's kind of been the secret of success, if you want to call it for me, is that when these things show up, it's almost never an accident. And are you in a place, was I in a place to respond to it? Oftentimes, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. But something intuitively in me said, yes, do it. And no matter what it takes, see it through. And that's, that's the best advice I can give. For sure. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Manduka at manduka.com and Levity Yoga at levityyoga.com. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.